Hey, it's Bilal Vakani at BilalV87 on Twitter. It's the lost episode of SmackDown because it aired on FS1 in the U.S., not the Big Fox Network, thanks to the World Series. And it was an interesting show. We got a preview of the Saudi Arabia show coming up on Halloween Day. We're going to look into what's coming up for Daniel Bryan. The Firefly Funhouse is back. We had a couple of women's matches after none on a three-hour edition of Raw. The New Day continued without Xavier Woods, although he would appear by proxy. And Drew Gulak brought back his PowerPoint presentation. Hit that intro. You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. So SmackDown really did kick off with what would become the central narrative, and it was the Miz TV he had most of Team Hogan and most of Team Flair, three members of each. It was Ric Flair, along with Sami Zayn, who manages Shinsuke Nakamura, King Corbin, and last, and certainly least, because now I'm forgetting who it was. Oh, there wasn't anybody else, because there wasn't. We also had Team Hogan, accompanied by Jimmy Hart, and they had none other than the captain, Roman Reigns, Shorty G, and Ali. Not Ali G. So we got a bit of a promo. A lot of stuff here, but the highlights really. Ric Flair saying we've seen enough out of Roman, which got a pretty big pop. Hogan responded that Flair has never beaten him. Sami Zayn and Shorty G had a bit of a back and forth, which made me kind of thought we might eventually see a Shorty G in the IC picture. Ali sort of responded that Sami doesn't compete anymore. He's just a mouthpiece, which is pretty accurate. We also got a bit of King Corbin ripping into both of them. Uh, he sort of worked his way to Roman Reigns, and Roman uh, defended himself quite well here. Hogan wanted a three-on-three match. Sami Zayn said they would reconsider. Hogan sort of uh, joked about Sami being the GOAT. Sami explained that he tweaked his neck um, after accepting the match, and he had somebody to take his spot, and he was ready to come out right here. It was Cesaro. So Cesaro comes out. He's too eager. He runs out to the ring. And a brawl ensues. This wasn't the actual match. The match took place later. Team Hogan won. Very nice showing. Some great spots for Shorty G and Ali. They both look terrific here. Uh, Cesaro, commendable job in a fill-in role. Although a good way to cross-promote. And really the only way to promote his match against Mansoor. Without trying to sell Mansoor to the North American audience. Which is probably wise. Because he's basically a prospect. But very good stuff here, actually. Uh, you know, I think we're all skeptical about this Team Hogan, Team Flair thing, but it's it's worked out quite well. There was sort of a, uh, I'd call this a side quest here, because as Daniel Bryan joined Michael Cole, which is what I wrote, it's Michael Cole, in the ring, and Cole wanted to know if the Yes Movement was back. That was quickly pushed aside, like most of what Michael Cole says. As Shinsuke Nakamura and Sami Shin, I wrote down for some reason, Sami Zayn showed up. And this was very interesting because Sami essentially said that Daniel Bryan was a lot like him and Shinsuke Nakamura. He cared about the environment. He's an artiste. And Daniel Bryan, while he didn't accept the offer initially, he didn't exactly turn it down. And he seemed very perplexed, kind of looking back as he left the ring. So obviously Daniel is not part of the Saudi Arabia show. Neither is Sammy's. This is a very convenient way to sort of give us something for these guys to do after. But it's a damn good story and, and raises some very interesting questions 
about who Daniel Bryan is and where does he fit into the current WWE. And this could just, you know, roll out into a tag team match where Roman is involved. But we'll have to see. We also had uh, Brock Lesnar and Kane Velasquez in what was billed as a face-to-face. Rey Mysterio appeared in the ring with Kane Velasquez. Well, they entered. They didn't just appear out of nowhere. And, you know, he shouted out his son, who we saw earlier backstage with him and Kane, which is very nice. And Paul Heyman and, and uh, Brock Lesnar appeared on the screen. They were backstage to cut a promo. And it turned out they had wrecked poor Dominic again. We cut to a commercial. We can't, later uh, went backstage to where Kane and Ray were checking on Dominic. And it's a trap. Brock Lesnar showed up with a garbage can, annihilated everybody. Uh, it was quite brutal. And later on, uh, Kane Velasquez basically just screamed at the camera, but it was very effective to show how passionate and how much rage he has. Maybe it went a little bit too long, but pretty pretty good stuff. I think what we needed here was to establish uh, a little bit of what we'll get on Thursday at 1 o'clock, if you're not working, Eastern Time. We also had Babe Wyatt, I mean Bray Wyatt. Uh, his Firefly Funhouse had magically reappeared, but it looked like Rambling Rabbit had passed away in the fire, although he came back for some reason I didn't quite figure out. But never fear, uh, Mercy of the Buzzard ate him. So we're back where we started, and Bray said he would see Seth at Crown Jewel. You know, this stuff's wasn't bad. It just kind of depends what happens. Now, we need to see what happens with this match, and if there's a satisfactory place for Bray after that. We had the first female competitor on WWE TV this week with a match, and she had no interest in competing, it seemed, as Lacey Evans came to the ring. She had a match against a jobber for I don't know what reason, and Lacey basically made it clear she wasn't happy to be in Kansas City. She wasn't happy to have this local jobber, but asked the referee to start the match, which was a little weird at first. Lacey immediately walks out of the ring. The count gets up to nine or eight, and then Lacey bolts back into the ring, and KOs Cameron Connors in one shot. That's the match. Very effective, I have to say. This played with my expectations. Again, I don't need Lacey Evans in a squash match, but if you want to build her up, you can't really argue with this. I don't think you could do it again next week, but as a one-off, pretty good. We also had Nikki chatting with Michael Cole, although Corey Graves did not get to ask a question about her upcoming title shot with Bailey. She pointed out tonight she had Mandy Rose and that Mandy was pretty, but this wasn't a beauty, beauty pageant. It's Friday Night Smackdown. And, well, it was. And they had a match. This went over pretty well. Nikki seems to kind of be getting into her own groove. Uh, maybe part of that is Alexa's not there right now, so he has more time, more leeway. Uh, even when, when the segment started with Michael, she's like, hello, Michael. Uh, that's not a good impersonation of Nikki Cross. But she, she really... She, she's not using the play with Nikki catchphrase. It just seems to just kind of be her with the volume turned up. And I'm not saying she's Stone Cold Steve Austin, because that's what I'm referring to. I'm saying she's tapping into that part of her. We got to the match, and Bailey and Sasha were on commentary. Thankfully, because we all knew uh, Mandy Rose lost to Nikki last week for her to become number one contender for Bailey's title. So we knew she was going to lose again here. There was a good spot where Sonya got involved, but we didn't really get Bailey and Nikki involved. We didn't get that hug that Nikki talked about with Bailey. But Nikki got the win here, looked very strong, uh, and, and Bailey really sold this well by her and Sasha being pretty upset when she won the match. So I'm very intrigued by this. I don't really think Nikki's going to win here, but I, I'm enjoying the storyline, and it's, it's fairly interesting. 
We also had the New Day with Xavier Woods sort of appearing by Skype uh, before they came out to the ring, taking on Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler. The B team was watching this match backstage because, of course, all of these teams are part of the world's biggest tag team turmoil, which is actually a gauntlet match, which will also decide the best in the world. Uh, okay. Brood and Ziggler won this match, which was pretty surprising. You would think the New Day, especially without Xavier, because that really gives them a lot of sympathy, and they, they already were doing something with this with Skype. You would think they'd get the win here, especially since... They had beaten the Revival last week and had earned a tag team title shot. And in fact, after Rude and Ziggler won, the Revival came out to attack the New Day, who I will get that shot next week, apparently. And Heavy Machinery came out and made the save. Michael Cole called them his pick for the world's biggest tag team turmoil, which I think is telling in terms of how much WWE values these guys right now, or at least Michael Cole. Also, Lucha House Party was randomly watching, but this was after everything, so it was... A little late to tell us Lucha House Party was watching. Um, but that's not all they were doing. Drew Gulak was taking on Kalisto. There was a very good sort of introductory promo for Lucha House Party coming to SmackDown that they played as they entered. And I, I think this is a good way to establish them to the audience. Take notes, AEW. This is how you tell a cohesive story and not let, you know, Dean Ambrose or John Moxley fly off the handle or Chris Jericho and go on forever and ever. Gulak had a PowerPoint presentation. He recapped... The slide with Bray with uh, Braun Strowman, and he had a second slide which was going to detail, or a second presentation with another 345 slides that was going to detail how Braun Strowman could lose to Tyson Fury. But of course, he got attacked before slide two by Kalisto, even though Kalisto's a face and a very nice face. He's retweeted me on Twitter before. Kalisto got the win, of course, because Braun Strowman actually caused a distraction that threw Gulak off. Uh, Braun attacked. He was going to get a mic uh, and cut a promo, but the fans wanted him to hit him with uh, whatever Braun's finisher is, that power slam. So he did it again. And uh, that power slam. Shoulder driver? Somebody correct me on that. Braun hit him with his finisher. And then he cut a promo on Fury about what you would expect. Nothing too heavy here, but very good. And that was SmackDown. Uh, not a lot to say about it. Not really a low point i wouldn't really say a high point this is a very typical episode of smackdown and i think in the grand scheme of things it will be a lost episode of smackdown because it's going to disappear into the ether as the episode that was on fs1 and not fox because of the world series and the former washington or the naps the montreal expos who are now the washington nationals i can't even remember uh they're up two games to nothing so they will probably be World Series champions. So obviously in the States, that's a bigger deal. Heck, if the team was still in Canada, it'd be a bigger deal in Canada as well. But that was SmackDown. Pretty interesting show. Uh, nothing big. Obviously, we got to get through Crown Jewel. I'm still fairly excited because we could walk out of Crown Jewel with Bray Wyatt as the Universal Champion and none other than Cain Velasquez as your WWE Champion. If one of those things happen... It's going to get very interesting very soon. I'm actually excited for the Tag Team Turmoil match. It's a little convoluted, but I love a lot of these teams. I can't wait to see them all. And I like the Mansoor story. Like, for a lot of you, it may not mean much. I'm of a Indian and Pakistani descent. So to see somebody from Saudi uh, portrayed, and I, I will acknowledge the guy's a prospect, and WWE is playing up the hometown, home country, you know, whatever stuff. But... 
This is a great story. Cesaro doesn't win anyways, so this will be a great win for him. It'll be beautiful. And I'm very excited for this card. The Team Hogan, Team Flair thing, it's worked. Uh, the Rub, Flair, and Hogan are giving a lot of these guys, especially the younger guys, the Corbins, the Ali G's, the, the Ali and the Shorty Genio is going to do that. The Sami Zayn, the Shinsuke Nakamura's, Obviously, the Roman Reigns and the Randy Ortons don't need this. You just need them as captains to sort of, you know, manage this match and, and to put some star power on there. And certainly the history that Randy Orton has with Ric Flair is perfect for this. Now, Roman Reigns and, and Hulk Hogan, uh, that's a little weird. You know, I, I don't necessarily think The Rock uh, called him to approve that pick, but obviously there's a lot of respect there. So I'm pumped. Uh, great way to wrap up the working week. The weekend begins. I'll be back on Monday for WWE Raw. Wednesday for AEW Dynamite. Thursday, um, man, how are we going to podcast Crown Jewel? Because it takes place at 1 o'clock Eastern. I will be at work. I won't be home until 7 hours after that pay-per-view is over. And then I have to watch it. So that will probably come out a lot like a Raw episode or a SmackDown episode at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And then on Friday, I'll be back here for SmackDown. It's going to be a very busy week, and I look forward to it. Um, a big shout-out to everybody who comments, whether you listen or not, whether you tweet me at BilalV87 or not. Uh, I really do appreciate it. This is really a passion project of mine, and I wouldn't do it if I didn't really get feedback. So you guys are the reason I do it. Maybe some girls, maybe not. Until next time, at BilalV87 on Twitter. Have a great weekend, everybody. Peace. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Never Sleeps Network.